We have come to John chapter 12 and to verse 12 and the following verses. As we enter into this time, as John presents to us a very moving part of the ministry of Christ, his his inspired record of this part. This is, the, this is the beginning of the Passion Week. This, of course, is the Passover time. And we're coming into the triumphal entry, what some call the Palm Sunday. But we have to understand this whole thing <clears throat> is a heavenly setup Looking back on when Christ raised Lazarus, which is just in the previous verses, we see how Christ intentionally took his time. He delayed when he received word that that Lazarus was uh, very sick. Then he withdrew from the crowds at a particular time and and went out uh, into the wilderness to Ephraim, out to a city, out to a place where his enemies wouldn't find him because now they were more bent on killing Jesus than ever since he had raised Lazarus, a man who had been dead days and was already in decomposition. It, it's the crowning miracle to this point. And it's all designed by heaven. And Christ is manipulating the events so that a great crowd is generated when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. This is the Passover when he will die. As a matter of fact, it will be the final Official Passover. I mean, they'll have Passovers after that, but it won't mean anything because God's lamb will have been provided for the sin of the world. Now, Christ at Bethany, a couple of miles away from Jerusalem, making his way with a great crowd, a massive crowd who have come to see both Jesus and Lazarus, the man who raised him and the man who was raised. There are two crowds that are going to merge together in this period of time here. One crowd is the crowd that's coming into Jerusalem because it's Passover and they haven't really come into Bethany and perhaps are not as aware as others of what Jesus has done. So you have this massive crowd coming in to celebrate the time of Passover, to observe Passover. The other crowd to be as close to Jesus and to Lazarus as as they possibly can because of, of what has been done. Now, this this generation of uh, excitement and fury 
are carefully orchestrated because this is the Passover when the Father will offer the Son. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, um, Zechariah. Now, moving toward Jerusalem with Jesus is the excited crowd who have pressed in and around toward Bethany because of Lazarus. So let's look at it. The next day, the great crowd, having come to the feast, having heard that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and were shouting, Hosanna, save us, save, save us. Now, this is one of the Hallel Psalms, which were popular during the time of the Passover. And this is the last of the Hallel Psalms, the Hallelujah Psalms. This is the one that also says that, that Jesus used referencing himself with regard to being the chief cornerstone that had been rejected by the builders. All of that's in Psalm 118. It's called the victor's psalm or the conqueror's psalm. So they're recognizing at this point as, as uh, Jesus as the Messiah, the one who would conquer. They continue, blessed is the one coming in the name of the Lord and the king of Israel. It's very important to note that the hubbub of Israel right here, the center of the Israelite religion, the leadership of the people concentrated in and around the area of Jerusalem have all of this focus on Jesus and at the center of the focus is the office of Messiah, the one who is Messiah, the Savior who is Messiah. So they're, they're exclaiming salvation. They're exclaiming uh, that they are expecting the King of Israel, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So the the scene is set for the final rejection of Israel regarding Jesus, the Christ, and other things being set up as well. And we'll get to that as we go along here. Then having found Jesus, a young donkey, he sat upon it as it is written. Let me stop here. This is a fulfillment. Other, you have to put the other gospel accounts together with this one. This is a, a, a fulfillment of Zechariah 9, and it talks about a, a young colt of a donkey, but it also talks about the mother of the donkey, of the colt. And so it's a, it's a show of humiliation and a show, a, a demonstration of peacefulness coming on the colt of a donkey. And so the, the colt would go wherever the mother would go, and the mother would be led in Christ would be on the colt. The whole thing spoke of humiliation. It didn't speak of uh, the victory of a king. It spoke of a king coming in peace and humility. We also learn from the other gospels that Christ had already arranged for the donkey to be there. He sent two of his disciples to go to a certain place and that guy would understand, say the master has need of this and, 
And the, the story goes from there. So those things are not included in John, but we understand those things uh, have, have occurred. Everything's all set up. Here is what Zechariah says. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king comes sitting on a colt of a donkey. Here is the great struggle. The great divide between Messiah and his people. John started out like this. He'll come to his own and his own will not receive him. So this is the time of final rejection of Israel. Doesn't look like it right now. But as we go along, of course, you know, it's Palm Sunday, but Friday's just down the way when these same people will have turned on Christ. Now, in his three years of ministry and preaching and teaching and miracles, Christ has offered himself as their savior. That religion cannot save them, works cannot save them, and it is impossible to be obedient to the law because we have a fallen nature. We naturally do things that break the law. In the course of our lives, before we've even learned the Ten Commandments, we have dishonored our parents. We're guilty of the law. You're guilty. Just to be guilty once of one of them is to be guilty of all of them. We are taught in the Scriptures, and thus the penalty is death. But not just that. Who can stop a thought? There's that commandment that we shouldn't covet. Well, how many times do people have a fleeting thought? Man, I wish I had that or I wish that was mine or whatever, you know. And there are others as well. We're all lawbreakers. We can't understand that we're sinners until we understand what the law says. And then when we look at the law and we're honest with ourselves, we understand we're lawbreakers and we can't save ourselves. There's no way we can save ourselves. This is, this is the message of the Christ. He comes in fulfillment of the prophecies regarding the first coming of Messiah. We'll talk a little bit more about that here. Uh, I have my scriptures here and I want to look at Daniel 9. Because this is a very important, right here in this passage and what immediately follows is, is, a, is a, a fulfilling of an important part of uh, prophecy in the scriptures. And it's in Daniel 9. And the point that I will make is here as Christ comes in and they say, He's the king. In the previous slide, they called him the king. And then what the leaders of Israel are going to say in another slide in just a, a minute or two, all of this brings us to the understanding because finally they will, they will kill the Christ. They'll put him to death. This is the fulfillment of the first 69 seven-year periods of the nation of Israel. Here's where it all began in Daniel 9, Daniel was praying because he knew the 70 years of captivity were up, according to Jeremiah the prophecy. So he's praying for his people. What's going to happen to us? How are we going to respond? 
because our captivity is going to be over. That's, you know, Daniel knew that's what the prophet had said. So he's praying about it. He's asking forgiveness for the people, asking forgiveness for himself. And Gabriel comes. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing, this is down around verse 20. Confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before Yahweh my God for the mountain of, for the holy mountain of my God. And yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Daniel, now I have come forth to give you skill to understand. You see, Daniel's, Daniel's prayer is what's going to happen to us now. We're about to be released from bondage according to the word of God. What's going to happen? So here's what's going to happen. Gabriel comes from heaven swiftly. He says, I'm going to tell you the remaining history of your people. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I've come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved, and therefore you understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy shabuim, seventy shades translated weeks. It means seven, seventy seven-year periods. So there'll be 70 sets of seven-year periods. 70 weeks are determined for your people, for your holy city. Now, there are six elements to what Gabriel is going to say. Three of them are accomplished in the first coming of the Christ, the first three things that he says. The last three are accomplished at the second coming of the Christ. So he says, are determined for your finish. Uh, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity. Christ accomplishes this in his first coming and his death on the cross, burial, and resurrection. And, and then here in the Hebrew it says, it, it's, it adds a conjunction, it says, and to bring in. So that separates the last three from the first three elements. And... To bring in ever, everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. To separate, to anoint the most holy. Uh, therefore now know and understand this all has to do with the second coming of Christ. All prophecy and visions will be fulfilled. Everlasting righteousness finally at the end of the millennial reign into the eternal kingdom, all of that is accomplished by Christ and the most holy, of course, is anointed. Therefore, know and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and be, rebuild Jerusalem, and uh, Cyrus makes that, it's actually recorded in the scripture, the day, and the month, and the year when he issued the decree. From the issuing of that decree, um, there shall be a seat for the command that goes for and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, Messiah the Royal, the Messiah the Prince, 
There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's 69, seven year period. Do you understand that? And they go concurrently. They go one right after the other. So the 69, Shabuim, the 69 sevens are separated from the 70th seven. So the coming of Christ, the presentation that he is king, Messiah, the prince, the rejection of the Christ and what they do to him brings an end to the first 69 sevens. Okay, so here we go. We continue. Um, again, he should be built, the wall of the street, even in troublesome times. That's in the intertestament period. And the week after the weeks of the 62, there were seven in the 62. Notice, Messiah, Yechret, Messiah shall be destroyed. Messiah shall be cut off. Messiah shall be killed. But not for himself. And the city and the sanctuary shall be destroyed by the people of the prince who is to come. That's the Gentile great leader Antichrist later on. So the leaders of Gentiles will destroy. That happens in 70 AD. And then Christ prophesies that Jerusalem is under, trampled underfoot of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Still that way. Should be cut off, not, not for himself. The city and the sanctuary shall, prince of people shall destroy who is to come. And at the end it should be the flood. Okay, I'm going to stop there. The rest of it is not relevant to what we're looking at here. Um, so what is happening is, so I won't forget this. Will you take that? Brain. Hunk of flesh. <laughs> Brain, hunk of flesh. Okay. This, and Christ knows this. Heaven knows this. Gabriel brought, brought the report from heaven to Daniel. So this is going to end. Messiah is going to be, he's going to be murdered, killed, destroyed, cut off, but not for himself. For others. So this ends the 69, the first 69 seven year periods. Behold, your king comes. Now we already know the story that they will in mass reject him at the end of the week. Why? Because he did not come. Like they thought he ought to come. They thought he ought to be the Messiah of the second coming. Even his disciples. They wanted the guy who would come and trample out the Gentile power, which at this time was Rome. But there's, there's still a program, and we're going to see how that is initiated as we go along this passage of Scripture. There's still a program. God is moving according to his sovereign will. And standing in the place where I am, I thank him for it. He didn't move according to the plan of the people. The plan of the people was this Jesus, this king needs to now, who has the power of resurrection, he needs to go ahead and raise us all up into an army. And when we die, he can just bring us back to life again. And we'll keep fighting until the Romans are done and the Gentiles are done and the kingdom comes in. The kingdom won't come until God's time for it to come. 
there's still, there still a time between the close of the 69th seven and the 70th seven. The 70th seven is the seven years of tribulation. And that's determined for Israel. And that's going to come, but it's not here just yet. Might not be far away. I don't think it is. But it, it's determined for the holy city and for his people, Daniel's people, Israel. All right. So he comes and he comes peacefully. He doesn't come like the, 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 the conquering king. Whenever a king came to form an alliance, and he came in behalf of the people. He came back in those days. He came on a donkey. Now, when he came against a nation to defeat them and he defeated them, he would ride a white horse. As the conquering king. And he would ride across the battlefield of his fallen enemies and the the, the war steed that he rode, that he would ride, would stomp across the battlefield that was full of the spilled blood of the enemy. And that blood would splatter. And the, the, the tip of his robe, the vesture, would be splattered with blood of the enemy. And that's how the Revelation describes it. After the battle of Armageddon, he doesn't come that way. He comes offering himself as their savior. We don't, listen, until we're saved, we don't want that second coming, Jesus. We're in big trouble if we're not saved and Jesus comes in that second coming. That's not good. That's terrible. That's bad. We want the Jesus of the first coming who offers himself humbly to the people. That's what we want. Well, these people didn't want that. All right. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. So the crowd who was with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness about him. For this reason also, the crowd went and met him because they heard that he had done this sign. Now, two crowds are going to converge. If you read earlier accounts in other gospels, you will know that the leadership of, the, of Judaism, the Pharisees, the scribes, and all of them, they did not want to make a public spectacle out of their killing Jesus. They wanted it to be a private assassination. Jesus wouldn't let it happen. The father won't let it happen that way. So these two crowds are coming together. And there is, the, 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 there could have been, some, some say there could have been as many, many as two and a half million worshipers there. Because the, what they do is they count the number of the lambs that were offered. There's a record of that. And then you think of how many in a family household and you figure there could have been two to three million Jews in the city that time, at that time offering Passover lambs. As a matter of fact, when Christ dies on the cross, it was exactly at the time when they were offering the Passover lamb. Exactly the time, same thing. And then of course the veil of the temple was torn in half and all that. This is all done according 
to the timing of heaven. Now, two crowds come together, and this is a massive crowd. It just so happens that some of this crowd now, when they've all joined together, some of this crowd can be manipulated by the leadership of the religion, the religious leadership of Israel. So Jesus is in, and and of course, Lazarus, people are as anxious to see him as they are Jesus. But notice what he says. The crowd went and met him because they heard that he had done this sign. Here, here is the rejection of their king, right here. Therefore, the Pharisees said among themselves, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. You are gaining nothing. Now, that, that means that the leadership are talking within themselves, this isn't good for us. This character riding on that donkey is not what we want. This is not good. But look, the world has gone after him. You remember that prophecy that Caiaphas had made? You're going to die for the people and all that. This whole thing is coming true and they acknowledge it by their own testimonies and they don't even realize what they're doing. The world has gone after him. Israel has not gained anything. That's according to works salvation. That's according to Judaism. To those who refuse to see themselves as worthless sinners that flies in the face of human pride. No, I'm worth something. No, you're not. You can't save yourself. You can crawl on your hands and knees up the Via Dolorosa until nothing but kneecaps are showing and it won't do anything. You can pray the, the Hail Marys or you can pray the Lord's Prayer. You can do everything in the world thinking that something that you are doing will save yourself. You can be baptized in the ocean until every fish in the sea can call you by name. Nothing is going to save you. Only the grace of God. So the time has to come where we are stricken because of our sin. And we come to acknowledge that we're hopeless and helpless and we need a Savior. And there is one who is sinless, the Son of God, who has offered to take care of us and be our Savior. Here, the leadership of Israel, and then finally, at the end of the week, Israel will reject Jesus, not only as their king, but as their savior. Now, de, de, it's a mighty little Greek word, but it's a powerful thing. What had the Israelite leadership just said? We don't want him. He's not doing us any good, but the world is coming after him. Just then. Now, there were certain Greeks among those coming up that they might worship him at the feast. Now they go, they go 
to the disciple who has a Greek name. Therefore, these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee. They were asking him, saying, Sir, we desire to see Jesus. No doubt in their minds what they wanted. I have it underlined both here, the word see, see Jesus, see, and the Greek word, edain, to see. And that word, that word means to come with a view to understand and to know. That it would be thorough. If it was another Greek word, it would just mean, you know, I want, a, I want an autograph. It would be like, I need to see him. It's not that. The word means we want to understand Jesus. They've come to worship him. They are Greeks. They are not Jews. They are not of Israel. But they are being drawn to the Christ of God. They are Gentiles. This is a preview of the church. Can you see this? We desire to see Jesus. Philip came, told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come. You and I have seen, not just in this gospel, but in our studies of others, how many times did Jesus say, my hour has not yet come? My hour has not yet come. I have a job, a work. I'm headed to a specific task. And when I get there, then the hour will come. Guess what? The hour has come. That the Son of Man should be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, if a grain of wheat having fallen into the ground should not die, it abides alone. But if it should die... It bears much fruit. If Christ had not died, I would be in sin, unforgiven, without a Savior. I would have to pay the penalty myself. All of my evil things and thoughts, deeds, whatever. You, you sit there long enough and, and all of the things that you've done will break you down. Now suppose I had to stand before God and I had no savior to take that upon himself and to take it away from me. I would be destroyed. I would be cast into hell. I would be eternally tormented. Separated from God forever. Christ doesn't just come. He comes to die. He takes the penalty upon himself. So, but if I should die, but if it should die, it bears much fruit. It's a time of year. If you ride up and down, if you go into that uh, priceful, you see the grains, wheat, whatever it is, straw, whatever it is, the corn, the stuff. 
the seed had to be placed into the ground and it had to be dead. It had to die. But what comes up from there is a whole lot more than what was put in the ground. Christ's great message regarding the truth that Gentiles have come to see him just when Israelites have rejected him says this, I'll die and bear much fruit. Of course they came to Christ. In John 6, Christ said, anybody can come to me. I will not reject anybody. All who come to me, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, John 6. And of all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. Well, here they are. You know they came before Christ. And Christ perhaps would give them this wonderful lesson. Here is the truth of the matter. They didn't have a New Testament to study. They didn't have a Sunday school to attend. They didn't have a church to which they could belong. All they had was Jesus. And his promise to die and through that death bear much fruit. Do you believe that Jesus died for you? That's a big step in the human spirit. The natural man refuses that. I have to do something. He I can't be helpless. I have to do something. I have to pray the right prayer. I have to do the right thing. I have to this. I, no. God calls you and draws you to himself and Christ does it all. Christ does it all in his death, in the crucifixion, the cross. We preach the cross and him crucified. There's nothing else. And so here they begin to come as he is headed to the cross. We want to understand Jesus. Works won't save you. You're lost. You're, you're born into a human condition that you can't help. But it will condemn you to hell unless by the grace of God... The Savior intervenes in your behalf and takes your guilt and your sin and your penalty upon himself, thus setting you free of the whole thing. My faith is in Christ. Sir, we seek to understand Jesus. Boy, this is, this is a great time in the gospel account, Jesus continues. The one loving his life loses it. Do you know the one who loves his life? The one who loves his life thinks so much of himself that he thinks, well, Jesus did a nice thing, but I'm going to help him out by doing this, that, and the other. He went so far, but he can only go so far, and now I'm going to have to go the rest of the way myself. That's thinking a lot of yourself. You love your life. I'm too important to think that I'm totally useless and worthless without a savior. That's thinking too highly of yourself. You got to lose that. The one loving his life loses it. But the one hating his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. Paul hated himself. You just read Romans. Was it chapter 7? 
Who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that I am. I am the chiefest of sinners. This is how we think of ourselves. Repentance. I repented. God gave me the gift of repentance when I was saved. And repentance has been a part of my life of sanctification ever since. This is the life that hates itself. I can't stand the wretched man that I am. I long for the eternal life, the glorification of all things. And I thank God for the process of sanctification that continues to deal with me and purify me throughout my life until it's over. The one hating his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow. And where I am, there also my servant will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into the world to save sinners. My faith is in Christ and in nothing but Christ. If you're here today and you sense that the Lord, the Father is drawing you to the Son, calling you into his salvation. Listen, we have deacons and their wives just as you exit right across the hall, standing there waiting to pray with you about salvation. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian and you know that God is leading you to come and be a part of Shiloh and help us in these last days and join with us in what we seek to do by proclaiming the absolute truth of the scriptures. And you want to become a part of Shiloh, you're already a Christian. You step in there, they're prepared to answer your questions and we'll take care of all the details. If that's what God wants in your life. Let's stand now, we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.